to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Hey, Paul, how are you, mate? I'm well, how are you today? How's the uh, polar vortex treating you in Chicago? Uh, yeah, so there was a couple of days that were really bad. The rest have been typical Chicago winter, so the worst of it's behind us, thank goodness. So have you, You've not been trapped at the home yet? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, it wasn't trapped, but I didn't go out much more than I wanted to. But but interestingly, between the wind chill factor on Wednesday and then on Sunday, it's a hundred degree difference. So wait, really? Yeah, the minus fifty wind chills over the other day, and they're expecting a high of fifty on Sunday. Far out, that's so different. That's all you know, Fahrenheit, obviously. But so yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm complaining about near freezing here. Yeah. And uh, my colleague who we're going to have on the show, Steve Anderson, who is the API architect for Microsoft Growth. He, uh, he was like, you just have the wrong baseline, Jeremy. You need to go <laughs> out into the country and see the difference of real cold. Yeah, well, that's what it is, right? It's, it's what you're used to, right? Right. Yeah, that's so, true. My wife has a friend who posted a thing on Facebook that says, I don't like the cold, but the option is this, and it's a snake hanging on a doorknob in Florida. So people choose <laughs> where to live based on external <laughs> factors all the time. Yes. Yeah, I remember going to visit Andrew Connell and going to his house and him cooking and walking out into his yard to get to the barbecue and be like, nope, this is way too humid for me. <laughs> yeah. So... So um, this week we, we've you've got some good people lined up for the next few weeks of guests, which is awesome. Um, it gives me a bit of a break actually because I've been so busy since uh, coming back from the holiday period. So thank you for doing that. Well, I'm not sure if you noticed, but you know the first six months of the podcast, all I did was you know hold on tight. And <laughs> so I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to finally participate and get going. And uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm getting better at asking questions. So that's uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I think having you do those solo, it makes it for better. Than both of us jumping in and speaking over each other where we're not all in person doing interviews. Uh, so this is a, a, a community packed week. Um, so the we'll talk about uh, some stuff going on with the SharePoint Saturday website is and and has to happen. But before we do that, let's cover some uh, community news for the week. So uh, yeah, what, what you got set up first? Yeah, one of, one of my favorite MVPs actually. Um, we ha- we share a few hobbies in common. One being photography, and the other. Uh, well, actually, he's extreme dog owner in the sense that he does all these cool run round, jump through hoops and the dog, not Matt. And um, <laughs> so Matt McDermott from Able Blue, um, he does training and consulting and has been in the SharePoint space for a long time. And there's a lot that I learned from him early on in my career when I was in Australia remotely reading his blogs. And, you know, he's one of the ones that has kind of c- continued on that path for, you know, 10 plus years. And he reached out last week actually to ask some follow-up questions around um, calling the Microsoft graph with Microsoft Flow. And we, we've we had some stuff. If you go to docs.microsoft.com slash graph in the tutorial section, we actually have a whole Microsoft Flow uh, step-by-step of c- calling the Microsoft graph as a, as a connector there. Um, but what Matt did was go into even more detail um, around a particular scenario with webhooks and subscriptions. So you're going to have the flow 
basically be triggered based on uh, a webhook being fired and, and call the flow and then the flow goes away and it does something. And the registration process for that is slightly different. The auth flow is slightly different. And um, Jason Johnson, who writes a lot of our tutorials in our team, actually helped Matt to kind of just get over the last little bit of his tutorial. And so he published that this week. So um, Flow is really growing. Um, I think when it first came out, there was like, yeah, this is a little bit too simplistic and this doesn't replace SharePoint Designer workflows and it doesn't place the Visual Studio workflows. But, um, you know, what Matt shows here and what John Liu has shown in the past and a bunch of other um, MVPs that are writing networks of flow is that you can re- build really sophisticated business processes with those things that can trigger and can call off to anything. Um, I mean, there is definitely this notion of from a licensing side. Now you do need a paid plan to call a custom connector that calls an API, which didn't used to be the case. And there's, you know, official blog posts, which we'll have in the show notes. We can go read about when that comes into place. And I know, um, UC Ruin, um, who's in Finland, I believe, has written like a, an external comprehensive licensing guide to Microsoft Flow and Power Apps to kind of explain what's in and out. Because I must admit the blog, the official blog post is a little bit confusing on whether Microsoft Graph calls are actually going to require a license or not. So definitely check that out. Yeah, a couple, well, a lot there. First, uh, what I love is that uh, Matt has updated his blog, right? So Matt and I go back a long way, and he's been to Chicago a couple times, and we've had a few a few beverages. And we were actually in Orlando last uh, December at, at a conference, and he was too busy running the conference for me to interview him. But but he mentioned he updated his blog, and now I'm looking out his favorite icon, for the fave icon for his page is a dog paw, which is awesome. So that's great, Matt. Um, yeah, and so uh, I, I, I would agree uh, a lot of the flow changes has, has been some confusion. And there's been some kind conver- of a lot of conversations going on on, on social media as well as uh, in email threads and stuff about the licensing change. So it's certainly worth uh, a read to uh, UC's blog post. Again, he's an external, so and I always like to say licensing may vary based on your conversations with your Microsoft rep. So obviously, there's a lot to to, to digest there. But it, I'm glad that uh, it's getting the MVPs uh, are getting the information out there that hey, something's changing. You need to invest what's happening so hey i'm pretty um, sure wasn't he in margaritaville with you at ignite last year Uh, that may have been a little bit of a show so um i'm not sure i should be the one answering questions about what happened at margaritaville that night (laughs) (laughs) i do remember uh, victor veland came by but i'm not sure if matt oh that's right it was that's right but we were back at the same place uh in december at the live 360 conference yeah Uh, yeah that's right i did that before one year that's a cool conference yes yes yeah so anyways back back to to math's flow um I, yeah i agree there's a lot of great stuff going on in flow i actually had kicked the tires a lot uh, on flow when it first came out and found it somewhat simplistic with a, a but an opportunity to as a developer to do a lot of work if i you know i had wanted to but um uh, i'm glad to see that what we're seeing on blog posts now are people actually solving specific problems. They they have a problem in using Flow to help do that. Whether in this case it's you know um, listening for a webhook and handling that for us, or, or our other community link is is Chris O'Brien talking about how to use Flow to do um, uh, SharePoint PMP provisioning stuff. This is this is a great maturation of the pro- of the of the technology, if you will, where where we're now seeing people who are actually have a specific 
specific business problem and you having flow be part of the glue to get that to, to move from from an action that happens to to, you know, solving the business's issues. So uh, a couple of great blog posts this week. Uh, um, and as we, we've said a million times, Chris O'Brien is is super detailed excellent writer, excellent trainer, all around great guy. And he goes into a lot of details about using the SharePoint site design to kick off a flow, which then goes through and does your PNP template provisioning for SharePoint stuff. We have to get him on this show too. That's going to be something I need to reach out to him. But yeah. um, on, on that blog post, and I haven't had an answer from him just yet. I only emailed him yesterday, but um, I did notice that rather than calling the, um, the API directly, he in the instructions drops the item into an Azure queue and then the Azure function picks up the item on the Azure queue and then the Azure function calls Microsoft Graph. And therefore I'm assuming <laughs> means you don't need a customer connector in the flow, which means you don't need the the license for the uh, the, pay, the paid license like you would if you called Microsoft Graph directly in the Microsoft flow. <laughs> So um, interesting workaround. I mean, I'm, you're still spending money having a Azure queue and you're still spending money having an Azure function that's doing the Microsoft Graph call. So it, it's half a dozen of the one and half a dozen of the other. But um, yeah, I guess it depends on costs versus having to have all your license, all your Microsoft Flow users on that license model versus paying for Azure stuff. Right. And, and I can think of it, uh, obviously not being at Microsoft, my view may be different, but in, in something like this, where I have the IT department doing some work, they're doing the provisioning of stuff on behalf of users. So, so that, that to me, that makes more sense to have something in an Azure function and maybe having a queue where I can put some management around it and, and look and see when things fail. Cause I have a, you know, poison data queue. Whereas if a flow just fails, uh, someone has to log in and see that. Right. So the, I yeah. can certainly understand the, the point of view there. Um, but, um, both, both approaches work. That's great to do. And, and so, uh, uh, kudos to Chris for, for pointing out these pieces of technology that, that we can use. Yeah. It's definitely this notion of like, and I saw, I think it was Mark Rackley this week tweeting about using, um, logic apps, which is basically like the bigger brother of Microsoft flow. That is really what Azure developers are encouraged to use and not Microsoft flow. Um, they both run on exactly the same infrastructure under the covers. Uh, one is just more geared towards a professional developer audience, whereas Microsoft flow is more designed to be an, if the, if this, then that type, you know, very easy step by steps. But I saw some announcements today, like there's now conditional logic that you can add into Microsoft flow. So it's getting pretty sophisticated for a power user to go do that. A lot of those things that logic apps has, and it's gonna be super interesting to see in two years, how different logic apps looks from Microsoft flow with the way they're going with it. Yeah. And for those who haven't looked, uh, I, if you use flow and typically I'm creating a flow, I can choose the trigger for the flow and, and wire up that trigger with some piece source piece of data, SharePoint list or whatever. And in logic apps, that, that experience can be less graphical, if you will. So you really need to understand the context of what's going on. And that's a lot of work where a lot of power users would, would get stuck. Right. So, but yeah, if you're totally understand, uh, you know, copy pasting URLs or goods in, in, into a UI, Logic Apps does provide a, a, a ton, a ton of work. And you know what? It, I, I hate to bring this up, but it's a lot like doing SharePoint Designer workflow versus Visual Studio workflow. It's the same kind of concept. At some point, yeah. the, the, they run on the same technology, but the building of them is going to be somewhat different. And based on your 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 technology adeptness, one may be better than the other. But yeah. 
And so this week, who do you have on the show? And I know you've been working on some of this stuff too. Yeah. So uh, a while ago, Microsoft announced that the access control service was going to be retired. And then, oh, I remember um, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you think back to the SharePoint Saturday is a, a, a SharePoint, SPSEvents.org is the website that hosts the SharePoint Saturday community. And in the SharePoint community, Jeremy, how many people do you think understand what the ACS login really is doing behind the scenes? <laughs> Probably zero, unless they've implemented ACS like I have, which this was years ago. And I read a blog post you wrote on how to get this thing running. Well, apparently Eric Harlan read that blog post too, because he said, Hey, can you help us do this? And this, I, we were at some SharePoint Saturday event at which, I don't know, eight months ago or something like that. I was like, sure. No problem. Well, guess what? You know, Paul gets busy and, and now all of a sudden the deadline's coming. So we had to, we had to scramble, but, um, so yeah, I've, the, the the short answer is that we've had to convert this over the the website to log in instead of using the ACS, we're going to use the Azure B two C, and so um, Eric and I have worked together on that. And there's some information we want to get out to pe- listeners. So I, it's a mostly SharePoint centric interview. I, I apologize if you're listening to the graph, uh, uh, you want to hear other graphy things. We'll get back to that, you know, regularly scheduled program soon. But I wanted to get Eric on because he's been a long time stalwart in the SharePoint. Point Saturday community, which has been going five, six years now, right? So it'd be great to get his thoughts on the community and and get the message out about how to to get, fix your logins when you go to the site in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and um, I mean the BTC B two C stuff is super useful for a bunch of scenarios, and I know Alex Simons, the CVP of Azure, he was tweeting this week celebrating. Um, I believe it was the Irish government is using it to um, allow the citizens to log into a system that they can then collaborate with the internal government people that are obviously using Azure AD within the system, but they want guests to be able to come in and, you know, basically be almost like a first class user in the system. And they're using Azure B2C for that. So, um, you know, it's come a long way in this world. And there were some announcements this week around, um, you know, like any email can be a guest now into an Office 365 tenant as well, and which opens up a lots of scenarios like Microsoft Teams and so forth. So they're, the Azure, t- the identity team have focused on a lot of these scenarios that in the past, like extranets, and that's how I read your blog post. This is, I mean, this must be 10 years ago now, um, <laughs> building an extranet for a government in Western Australia and um, implementing it with ACS and that weird database you had to provision for all the usernames and passwords to be stored. And yeah, it was um, an ugly affair. Well, I wouldn't look. Can, you mean ugly meaning the technology, not the guy who wrote the blog post, right? <laughs> a bit of, maybe a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and so I should say Eric's not necessarily a developer. So for the developers in the audience, uh, this what, there's some pain that we went through, but this is because we're using uh, 2019 or 2018 technology in Azure Active Directory combined with 2012 technology of SharePoint 2013 on-premises. So a lot of the pain is because of the legacy systems we're, we're trying to adapt. But if you were to sit down today and want to write a, you have an application and you want to uh, to use a, a web-based authentication using Azure Active Directory, it's not that hard. I, I took a client website 
about six months ago, and I think I spent three days at the most, and most of that was really just teaching them what Azure Active Directory was. The actual coding was add a half a dozen lines of code and wire stuff up, and, and it's super easy to get authentication happening. And so now, if you have a web application that you want to add authentication to, it's a, pretty, a great option. And as you mentioned, the Irish government probably saw that as well. I can get the whole world logging into my application, and I have some basic understanding of who they are when they log in. So um, it's certainly worth investigating if you at all are, are dealing with an extranet or the or the public in general. So great technology. Yeah. We should probably I'm find someone from Azure. I know we had uh, Lou, uh, Arturo on a while back, but we should probably refresh that. Uh, well, there's there's that some topic. new blood in the game with Matthias Hawkstra, who is an old SharePoint person from way back when. Um, he was in the Windows org for a bit, and he's just moved over into Identity. He's currently touring doing those ignite world tours so if you if you're in one of the regions i'd highly encourage you to go to those because one they're free and two there's a lot of program managers going over to these things and presenting um but yeah when matthias gets back i was going to throw a microphone in front of him he's eight foot tall so it'll probably hit him in the torso <laughs> um, but uh yeah we'll get him talking about mcell and when this thing will finally ga and other bits and pieces as well. He's he's a good crack. But um, to move back to Eric, I'm glad you have Eric on. Every time I meet Eric at a Ignite or an internal conference that we have here when he's up in Redmond, I always learn so much from him. Um, so I'm glad we got him on the show. So stick around for, and listen for the rest of it and um, enjoy the rest of your week, people. All right, thanks. And I want to shout out to the listeners. You know, if if there's something technology or person that you think would be worthwhile, I'm always happy to try to track them down, see what we can do. Obviously, yeah, we're, we're trying to find technologies that are relevant to people, and it'd be great to hear from you directly what those technologies would be. So tweet, tweet at us and let us know. It'd be great. Cool. Thank you. So I'm here today with Eric Harlan. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks. So why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, a little bit. Okay. So there's a lot, obviously, but, um, you know, I guess when it pertains to this whole SharePoint world and technology as a whole, I started in the technology field in 1998 was sort of the official release of V1 Eric. Um, quickly got somehow involved. Well, somehow is actually a pretty particular story. It's, uh, it started with, uh, a pretty major, um, migration of paper forms with a specific U.S. agency over to SharePoint 2003. Uh, prior to that, I've been dabbling around in 2001, so officially an OG with SharePoint. And that's sort of what set me down this road of SharePoint and uh, and what's come of it to date. So it's been a long road. It's been about 20 years in the technology field. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I'm actually uh, halfway through my 10th year here at Microsoft as a, uh, premier field engineer. Um, you know, I started 10 years ago and, you know, started in the transactional premier space, which is essentially what it sounds like. You, uh, you get a dispatch, you get a case, you either get on the phone or you go to the, the customer site, you work on it until either you don't have time to work on it anymore because of another obligation, or you stay there until you get it fixed where you stay on the phone until you get it fixed. Things have changed a little bit since then. Um, I'm not transactional anymore. I'm actually what's called a, uh, a dedicated pod lead uh, within Premiere. It's usually uh, transparent to most customers, but 
most higher end uh, unified contract customers will have an entire 365 team dedicated to just uh, their, you know, their technical needs, uh, you know, across many other customers that are assigned to that particular pod. But uh, I lead up one of those pods and have a couple engineers who uh, who are in that pod with me and, and we approach uh, different needs from the 365 stack as a whole and uh, across to maybe about 10 different customers. So. That's where I'm at now uh, as a senior premier engineer at Microsoft. That's terrific. And you and I first crossed paths at a SharePoint Saturday event in Baltimore, I believe, which might have been more than a few years ago. And so how did you get started in the SharePoint community space like that? You know, it it started in about at about uh, SharePoint. 2007 version wise uh, but in terms of community as a whole i ran what started as a user group at a company so it was just a company who was getting into the consulting world for for sharepoint uh the major versions were 2003 2007 at the time um and then 2010 started getting talked about. This is probably around the 2008 mark. The user group internally at that org had been going pretty strong for a while. And uh, we decided to um, uh, take it from just the internal side to, you know, making it a, a community event for Baltimore as a whole. And we opened that up. Um, that was just before the, um, the breakout of, of SharePoint Saturday. And when that sort of started coming down the pipe, I had already started getting other community members that were that were previously engaged in, in the world of SharePoint and getting them to come out and speak. Uh, and that was sort of just the way that most folks interacted with the community at the time. And then, uh, you know, SharePoint Saturday got spun up in Virginia Beach. Uh, we had gotten wind about it because we're actually pretty close back in Baltimore to Virginia Beach. The overlap is sort of the Norfolk and uh, and DC markets, so that that whole kind of corridor talks to each other from a community space. Um, I got involved basically on the third event uh, with just it, it, I can say the board of a global SharePoint Saturday, but that didn't mean anything at the time. It was just you know three people trying to put these events together to make it make sense and try to do it for free, uh, and then you know as as so happens in the SharePoint world, one thing led to another. And uh, 10 years later, going on the 11th year now, uh, we've had something like 300 plus events globally, uh, all pretty much following the same model, all free to customer or customers to attendees. Uh, and and there's a lot in between, obviously, but that's a succinct version. Right. Well, so before I go too far, let me say thank you for all those efforts. It certainly uh, is, is appreciated. And I've been to many different SharePoint Saturday events. Interestingly enough, not too many here in Chicago, but uh, uh, and I, all the, the attendees always seem to to be happy and, and, and none of this would have been possible without the help. And so um, I, I want to relate a, a somewhat funny story. So I had I was working with uh, Mindsharp at the time and was got involved with the speaking and and I don't know if it was you who picked me 
or someone else on the group there, but said, oh, talk about claims authentication. And you gave me this big room because I worked at Mindsharp and I don't know if I was MVP then or not, but I was like, no, 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 people don't want to hear security. And I had this big, massive room with four people in it, which is my, <laughs> my first experience there, that hey, maybe we don't want to talk about uh, identity. But sadly, identity comes to bite us all at some point or another. And so one of the reasons that we're recording this uh, today, which is the first of February, is because the the website that supports the SharePoint Saturday efforts has is undergoing a change that you and I have been working on. Mm-hmm. And so um, give us uh, the, the, the non-technical version of what people visiting the site might run into and, and what, what we're trying to do to help solve that. Sure. So first, I guess a little bit of history. Um, the SharePoint Saturday website is a, um, a website that's hosted uh, externally, but it's an on-prem deployment so that we can have anonymous access to people coming in. It's gone through a couple different upgrades in the past. Uh, about five years ago, the most dramatic one uh, was with the, the ever-so-gracious um, Gary LaPointe, who, as you'll follow a trend through this conversation, there's a lot of volunteer work and a lot of time dedicated to otherwise fleeting things that sometimes don't always get recognized or paid back. But those are the things that that make this community great and, and why people want to be involved in it. Um, Gary had built essentially a 2013 version of on-prem, ground up, lots of uh, really relevant custom um deployments that went into that and made it what it is essentially today, where it actually meets the needs of um, all of our both attendees, as well as the owners who put these events on. There's quite a bit of flexibility for expansion where people want to take it in different directions or add uh, different points to it. So we wouldn't be even having this conversation, I guess, without uh, Gary's efforts and, and that migration initially that happened. Um, when we rolled that out, so thanks, Gary, by the way, if you're listening to this, buddy. Um, when we rolled that out, we we had not necessarily a unique requirement, but we had the requirement of this is volunteer and no one in the world of what we do want to sit behind Active Directory and create accounts for every user that could be coming to any event and and have to go through the process of doing that before they can even sign up to attend. It would just be a monumental task. Um, So we decided to to let's roll out um, some identity that will allow users to use whichever provider they want whether that be Google or Yahoo or at the time Windows ID or Live ID even. And they can manage their own account. We'll just uh, pull them in once they've authenticated and we trust them. Um, So we did that using uh, Azure Access Control Services. Uh, And if you've been keeping track of that service is being deprecated after five years. So it was huge help to us at the time. Uh, But now we're in a position where many IT organizations find themselves where the technology is being deprecated and we have to roll off of it. And that's where you and I work come in and and what we've done recently. uh, And what we've essentially done is uh, we're utilizing Azure Active Directory now to essentially do the same thing from the user perspective. Uh, They're going to have a login. the, the experience will be slightly different because instead of choosing the provider and the dropdown on the website, uh, they'll just select one thing and then that'll take them to a page where they can choose either uh, the Google provider or uh, the Windows provider, MSA provider. Now, 
we've dropped the Yahoo provider only because we we pulled the entire user base and about 44 people actually used Yahoo, which is pretty, it's really just not worth supporting going forward. So we have some migration process in place to to pull those users over to either Google or, or Microsoft, whichever provider they want to use. And we've essentially uh, over the past, what, three months or so off and on as time permitted between our busy schedules uh, converted uh, ACS over to um, to B2C and we're using that now to authenticate our users. And that, that's the short version of the story. Obviously, there's some other things that we have to get into about uh, what the user experience should be and, and what folks should expect when they come into uh, to the site. Yes, exactly. And so um, for the, the developers in the room, if you will, the, the idea is that um, the SharePoint trusted identity token provider has been added to a, a custom deployment of identity server, which will support SAML 1.1. And that identity server is then federating logins from the Azure B2C service. And so um, if you want to learn more about that, ping me. I'm happy to, to talk. As, as Eric can testify, I talk about that stuff a lot, uh, more so than most people want to hear. Certainly not Jeremy either. Um, but now, the there's, so there's a couple things that users have to be aware of, right? And so uh, if for those who aren't familiar with, I look at the guts of SharePoint identity is that I have a, a user, a, a you know, name and a password, if you will. But in addition, there's this third piece of information, which is the identity provider. And as, as Eric mentioned, it used to be the ACS service and now it's the B2C service. And so SharePoint thinks it's a different person logging in. And I'm sure that many people are thinking, oh, my goodness. And in fact, we've had already some some calls or some emails about, hey, what have you know, where's my information? Right. So um, from the back end side, we can certainly merge those two accounts together. Um, do you want to give us a little uh, insight as to what that might look like um, from from an end user perspective? Yeah. So from an end user perspective, um, it's very similar to if, if a lot of folks who've been in the SharePoint world recall um, going from classic to claims where it's still the same person logging into a machine and trying to hit SharePoint. Uh, but SharePoint just sees them as two different people because they're two different tokens, right? So the same thing applies here. Um, we have, let's say my, um, so I use a Hotmail account, old school Hotmail account. Um, and when I log in prior to authenticating to the uh, the B2C provider, you know, I can log in currently as of this recording, February 1st. That's going to be going away here in the next three days. Uh, so as fast as uh, Paul can edit this thing will we'll be relevant or not. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, in the next three days or so, you'll still be able to log into ACS just like before. Um, and you'll still be working on that account. However, there's another button currently, which will then in a later date, replace all three of the options that you had previously. Uh, and that's the, the B2C provider. Now, if you log into that B2C provider, you have to enter in your, your first name or your given name, your surname or last name. And then um, what was the last field? Was it preferred or was uh, it, uh, it email? preferred email address? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so preferred email address. Um, so that information is, it's important because what we're what we're comparing is we're we're pulling uh, a user or in in later versions we're going to sort of encapsulate all this and and maybe pull an entire report of everyone but just down at the user level we're looking up a user's previous ACS 
uh, token provider information. And if you've ever seen it from a Windows perspective, it's just a string of garble, right? The the Gmail is is the user, or I'm sorry, the email address, and Yahoo is the email address. But Windows is the one giving us the most headache because it's indecipherable. We we don't know what it means when just looking at the at the string, but with B2C, we can actually see what uh, the preferred email address was. And in theory, with either the name, uh, surname, or preferred email, we can find the ACS one and the new B2C one and literally do a, a merge SP user on them and, and bring the BDC in to encapsulate all the information that, say, a speaker uh, in their account and things that they've submitted and things that they're they're attending will all be uh, one at that point. So. Once the, the user has been merged and or once uh, ACS is deprecated fully and it doesn't work anymore, if not right away, soon after, and we're working on that as we go, it's it's uh, one off at the moment, you, those accounts will be merged. And once uh, once that's done and you've already gone through the initial, you know, filling out those three fields um, options, the user experience should be identical. There shouldn't be anything. I mean, we've tested it pretty well, as as much as uh, volunteers who have full time jobs and families can do. But uh, if anything does come up, obviously we'll address it. But that the user experience should be remotely or you know identical to what it was before. After you've already logged into the site, until you get to that point, there's a couple of different steps we have to do. Right. And, and uh, I, I would just reiterate that completing that sign up form that you get from Azure Active Directory that has name and preferred email address is extremely critical. First of all, we we want to have information that we can get back to you. Right. As, as Eric said, put out a, an email blast this last week. But obviously, as going forward, those logins have to happen. We need to know how to get a hold of you. And and if you don't if you don't fill in the name in the Azure B2C service, then SharePoint won't get that automatically as well. And then if you try to do something there, we, we, we don't want a last modified username to be some kind of crazy string because that's not helpful to anyone. So be, be sure to, to fill that all in. So now that we do all this work, we're going to we keep uh, SPSEvents.org up and running. Oh, by the way, we probably should have said that earlier, right? So the SharePoint Saturday website is SPSEvents.org. So we've done this work. We keep this thing moving. What what do, what do you see the SharePoint Saturday or community events? Uh, what's been happening recently from your perspective? You know, there there's only been a few. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll start with the fact that I... I'm pleasantly surprised at the longevity of SharePoint Saturday. Um, and I probably shouldn't even call it SharePoint Saturday. At this point, it's we sort of just refer to it as an umbrella term of SPS events because it's not just SharePoint anymore. And we, that became very apparent, uh, what, like six, seven years ago when we changed the domain from what it used to be of SharePointSaturday.com over to SPS events because... That was when the the progression of um, you know cloud based computing and Office three sixty five and Azure and all the different components um, that in in theory could all be in, in different parts of it can be encapsulated in, in you know hundreds of thousands of conversations at user groups around the world of every sub technology that goes into it um, you know Power BI and Flow and Power Apps and and all these different processes that could theoretically justify their own style of SharePoint Saturday or SPS event at that point. Uh, we've just encapsulated it. And there's been some conversations about 
um, you know, should we have separate events for those one-offs that gain enough traction that it's valuable to do that? And, and the conversation always goes, you know, down the road of, um, you know, SPS events as a global organization doesn't care whatever event you want to have, um, as long as it encapsulates one or many of those technologies or, or at least the, um, uh, the mission statement that we've had forever, uh, around, uh, these community events, it doesn't matter that the focus of your event might be power BI and maybe some SharePoint sprinkled in, or maybe not, maybe Azure. It's totally up to, uh, the community that the event that's being held is servicing. And I think that's what has to be always taken into account. Here in Dallas, the the focus of a lot of technology might be completely different than it is downtown DC, where you deal with a lot of different style of business and a lot of different needs. So um, the longevity of, of the events that have been happening and the model that we put in place 10 and a half years ago is still super relevant. It fluctuates and changes and, and make, you know, we have updates as we go. Uh, but that's been the most, uh, most surprising thing with, with technology as a whole being almost disposable at this point in the stage of our, uh, of our careers. It's, it's fun to see that this has lasted so long. Um, and then, you know, just to tie on to that, it, it's, it's growing which is even more unbelievable. It's not just the same really big cities that are growing. It's uh, we're, we're acquiring new cities around the world every month. We have a different event every single month now from uh, locations that never even had them. These, these uh, what is it? Under, underserved markets that for 10 and a half years was the entire goal to get folks introduced to our technology. This was the whole point of, of getting speakers locally to be more apt to actually speak and then providing the resources to underserved locations that wouldn't necessarily have an event that now can. And that vision is is finally being realized, which is great. And that's a great testament to the SharePoint community, which has just taken off like nothing else that we've seen in the technology space at all. And uh, a lot of people at Microsoft behind that as well as a lot of people behind SharePoint Saturday events. So, so is there any, anyone else we should be uh, thanking here for their efforts in the last five years uh, or 10 years or, or so on the, from your perspective, who's helping out on this SharePoint Saturday events website. And that I'm kind of per- selfish in saying that because who else can I reach out to if we uh, have an urgent issue? With <laughs> right? um, well, the list would be a mile long, but, uh, and, and forgive me if I, if I leave everyone, anyone off uh, by accident, but I'd, I'd be remiss to not bring up folks like Susan Lennon, who's, been there uh, as long as I have, if not, in fact, a month and a half or so longer because her event actually was uh, <laughs> was created before any of the, the time that I got involved. So Susan Lennon, she um, she went on to work at Microsoft and then went on to retire. And in her, even in her retirement, that, that just that blows me away. Even in her retirement, she's still working on this stuff. So, um, you know, big kudos to her. Like I said, uh, Gary LaPointe, who who selfishly did a ton of work five years ago. And, and uh, you know, I, I sometimes have lost sleep over the fact that I didn't uh, um, thank him enough at the time. You know, obviously you... Uh, for helping us through this uh, semi-difficult time, it was kind of a pain in the butt to re-authentic or re-engineer the entire authentication model. Um, so thanks to you, and and 
you know, all the uh, the owners that put on events year after year, who who uh, the speakers who freaking you know pay thousands of dollars to fly to places just to talk in front of four people, and you're not the only one, man. I I want I once flew to London to talk about um, Azure Site Recovery to one person, and you know what? I I would do it again. You know, and all of us would. And I, I think that's where uh, the biggest thanks goes to. There's plenty of people at Microsoft who are behind the scenes pushing us and urging us and, uh, you know, helping us along. Uh, all those sponsors who who give up, you know, tons of cash and time to come out and and, uh, and attend these things. I mean, again, the, the list goes on for a million years. But uh, thanks to everyone who's being involved and continuing to support it. And to the ones who keep us on our toes. Don't be afraid to bring up things that you are concerned about or things that you want to see change or things should be changed. As long as it's valid, we'll, we'll take anything into consideration, even if it means spending personal time on it, as we've all done for, for many years at this point. So that's terrific stuff. And so when uh, we'll get this published uh, as soon as possible and then uh, on our website, we'll certainly have some links. Uh, Eric and I have, have been trying to brainstorm some ideas to capture feedback in, in a more organized fashion than the random social media comments that have been happening. So uh, we, we beg your patience on, on resolving that. We're certainly not trying to help that. And uh, we can we certainly want to see the community keep going. And as I end all my sessions at a SharePoint session, Saturday, stop by the sponsors and tell them thank you for what they're doing. Again, that doesn't happen without their support. And thanks to uh, other organizers who do all that work. And thanks again, Eric, for coming on. It's uh, great to have you on the show. Even though you're not a developer, we still love what you're doing. So uh, thank you very much. (laughs) No worries. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it, man. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 